The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning at Story City Church. Uh, my name is Raha, R-A-H-A. This means freedom in Farsi. Um, I joined a Story City back in January 2019, it's like three years right now, uh, working with produ- uh, production team. Uh, yeah, which is the crew, you know, putting so much effort early in the morning, taking care of the sounds, lights, you know, all visuals, and live streaming for our Facebook channel. Uh, so I appreciate it, and thank you for having me. Please put your hands together for them. So the scripture for today, I'm reading the Matthew uh, 1, verses 18 through 23 uh, in English and my language, Farsi. Please stand for the words of God. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, It was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now call this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord to the prophets. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is, God is with us. I read it in Farsi. Veladat Isa Masih chenam bud ke chun madarash Maryam be Yusuf namzat shode bud, qabla zan ke ba ham ayand, ura az rohul qudus hamle yaftand. Va shoharash Yusuf چون که مرد صالح بود و نخواست او را ابراد نماید پس اراده نمود و او را به پنهانی رها کرد اما چون او در این چیزها تفکر میکرد ناگاه فرشته خداوند در خواب به روی ظاهر شد گفت ای یوسف پسر داوود از گرفتن زن خیش مریم مترس زیرا که آنچه در روی قرار گرفته است از روح القدس است و او پسری خواهد زایید و نام او را عیسی خواهد یاد زیرا که او امت خیش را از گناهانشون خواهد رهانید و این هم برای آن واقع شد تا کلامی که خداوند به زبان نبی گفته بود تمام گردد که اینک با کره آبستن شده پسری خواهد زایید و نام او را امانوئل خواهند خواند که تفسیرش این است خدا با ماست تنکی All right well good morning Story City Church how you guys doing 
Man, it's great having you guys. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking back at the verse that we just read where Jesus is named Emmanuel, and that'll be the name that we're looking at here in just a few minutes. But before we get started, I just want to say how excited I am to be at this church on this Sunday morning, because I doubt that you really understand the power of this local church right here in Burbank, California. You see, uh, your lead pastor, uh, Pastor Jared, his wife, Monique, have been an incredible encouragement to my wife and myself as we've moved here. Uh, If you can't tell already, I'm not from here. (laughs) I I don't think I have a bad accent, but apparently I have a really bad accent. Uh, We moved here from South Carolina, and they have been a phenomenal. Yeah, we got some South Carolinians in here? Wow. Please tell me you're not a Clemson fan. Ugh. But it has been an incredible transition for us. Uh, you guys also know a good friend of, of this church, uh, Shane Kritzer, asked me to come out here from South Carolina to help see a church planting movement happen here uh, in Los Angeles. And I believe that if that is going to take place, that it will happen because of the church that we call Story City Church. You have no idea the legacy at which has begun right here. The work that we've been doing, that we've been striving to do to see a church planting movement happen, I'm telling you, if it happens in this great, great city that we call Los Angeles, it will happen because a church like Story City is willing to commit to the sacrifice that we just spoke about in the offering time, that we will exalt the Christ to whom we just sang about, and that we will investigate what God's Word says, not just come to church, but be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, to listen to what he has to say. And in our obedience, we will see this city become what its name says it is. It would become the city of angels. And I believe that can happen because of churches just like this one. Now today, as we study the scriptures, we're going to be looking at a name that Jesus is given by the Father. It is the name Emmanuel. And we're going to be studying what that means today together. But as we think about this, I mean, God is ultimately giving God, you know, God the Father is giving God the Son a name. Um, and, you know, for us, the, what we choose to have people call us says a lot about our character. It says a lot about who we are. You know, if you demand that someone calls you sir, or if you have your doctrine, you demand that someone calls you doctor, there's something that it says about who you are by what you ask other people to call you. And today we're going to see something about who God is and who Christ is based on what he has said to call him. Now, when I think of names and and having the choice of of someone calling you something, I think back to a mission trip that I took. It was my first of two mission trips to Egypt. Now, this was a very difficult time uh, in the life of Egyptians, particularly Egyptian church. Actually, just a few days before I had arrived there, uh, there were some Christians who had been killed in the city center of Cairo. So it was a very dangerous time to be coming as missionaries. So they really took all the precautions necessary. We couldn't come to the hotel except for like three of us at a time because we didn't want to make a big stir. And then um, uh, when we got there, they took us down to a bunker and we kind of had this orientation where they began to tell us like, hey, don't do these things, do these things. Like just kind of helping us get ready for this this two-week mission trip. And uh, at the end of it, they say, is there anyone here whose name is Eric? I think it was Eric. Is there anyone here whose name is Eric? And you just imagine, like, there's this one young man who sort of raises his hand, and he's like, yeah. 
uh, Eric. And they say, listen, we're going to need you to go by a different name this week because your name sounds too much like the F word in our language. <laughs> so you got to choose a different name. And dude, I got so excited. I was like sitting not close to him, but uh, I was sitting up. I was like, man, if they gave me that choice, I get whatever I choose. They're going to have to call me that all week long. I'm thinking, Thor. <laughs> you know? And sorry, it's not Eric. It's Thor. Yeah. I'm thinking, I mean, just you, anything. Captain Awesome. Whatever you would have come up with. And I'm thinking, this guy's going to come up with something great. So I run over to him, and I'm like, I'm like Eric. I'm, Eric, what name did you choose? And he, he said, I chose my middle name. It's like, John. I'm like, dude. You missed out. You could have been Star-Lord this week. No matter what, we'd have called him that. Now, it probably says a lot about Eric that he was willing to just choose a name that wasn't going to bring him any attention. It probably says a lot about me <laughs> that I was thinking, what name could I get that would put the attention on me? Now, as we take a look at this passage today, and we, uh, we investigate this word, this, this name, Emmanuel, that God has given to his son, it does articulate to us who he is and what he wants us to understand about him. And I pray that as we dive into this today, that you don't just hear another story, another Christmas uh, sermon, but you find something in this that God wants you uniquely to hear. And you leave out of here uniquely communicated by God to you through his word for a life-changing moment. And we're going to see this all come together as you take a look at this passage. We're going to start with together. This is Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. It says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from a town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now today we're looking at the word Emmanuel, and the definition of what Emmanuel means is God with us. We saw this in Matthew, the verses that we just read before the sermon, Emmanuel, um, and it means God with us. So if you're taking any notes, want to write anything down, first thing is Emmanuel equals God is with us. Now, if we take a look at this passage and we look at the ministry of Jesus, we'll see that, that, that Jesus is often... Uh, associating himself with not the right people. We see it in his earthly ministry. He's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. He's choosing disciples that don't seem to be the right people. And in this passage, along with everything we see in Jesus' life, like he is choosing the wrong people to be with. And as we hear this story, while we've heard it a thousand times, we've sung the songs before, you've got to catch that this little teenage girl is being chosen from all of human history, that had the privilege of birthing the Son of God. And this is scandalous. And that really, Jesus' entire ministry is marked by this, but in his birthing moment, we see it too. 
Just looking at Jesus' family, it is an awkward group. Like, uh, he's got a cousin who's Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they're just this bitter old couple that hasn't been able to have a child yet, and they're just frustrated. And then they, they have a child finally, and it's Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, and he's this weird wacko who lives in the woods and eats insects. And that's, that's Jesus' family. That's his direct family. And then he chooses guys like Peter, who's like uneducated and just words are spilling out of his mouth, just mistake after mistake after mistake. And Jesus says, I'm going to build the church on this guy. He's just, that's all he's done is again and again, he's made choices what looks like the wrong person. So if you're here today and you have some of your own excuses of why God wouldn't utilize you in his mission, you may be mistaken too. You may think to yourself, listen, I'm, uh, I, I, I'm divorced, and maybe that means for me that uh, since I couldn't hold the marriage together, God doesn't have a plan for me from this point forward. Or maybe you think to yourself, like, uh, I'm a social outcast. Like, I don't really understand how to do this people thing, and everybody kind of thinks that I'm weird and awkward. So I, I probably won't be used much by God Myself, Or maybe you're young and you think, listen, nobody wants to hear my voice. They don't want to hear my thoughts right now. If I say anything, it's kind of quiet me down. Or maybe you're old and you're thinking, I've passed my prime. Listen, these might be your excuses, but they're not God's excuses. These are the things that you have come up with that the enemy of God is doing his best to get you to believe that so that you will not experience the purposes that God has for you. And they're not small purposes. You are not on a small mission. It starts, though, with you recognizing that God is with you. Now, we see here that Jesus' family is from Nazareth, and they're going to go to Bethlehem. Uh, Nazareth is, is not an important town. It is a nothing town. Uh, later in Jesus' ministry, they even say, like, anything good could possibly come from Nazareth? Speaking of Jesus as somebody who came from there. But he was born in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem itself was a nothing town. Now, for me, I, I, I grew up in the South, in South Carolina. You heard that. Uh, but it goes even deeper for me. Like, my hometown has 5,000 people in it. To move to Los Angeles, it's got a few more than that. <laughs> a few more. Um, move, move here from there. And knowing that, that I've been asked to play my role in seeing a church planting movement come about here in Los Angeles, I often think to myself, like, God, you've chosen the wrong person. The last thing that L.A. needs is a guy from the South trying to do something for God. We've had enough of those. Listen, the town that I'm from is called Barnwell. Let me tell you how country it is. It's got barn in the name. And they say, that's not good enough, so let's put something else on it. So they went with, well. I mean, it's a nothing town. So I know for me, I want to make the same excuses that you might want to make. God, there's no way. You could use something so insignificant as me to make an impact that is significant for you. Let me be very, very clear. Insignificance. When God works through people 
who to this world look to be insignificant. And he does a significant work in their lives. He gets the most amount of glory. Because it was never about us. We're the insignificant. And when he does something significant through us, then he receives glory. This is why he chooses Peter, and he chooses Mary, and he chooses you. I want to tell you this way. Insignificance is often a prerequisite for you to be useful in God's hands. Let me say that again. Insignificance, when I look at God's word, is often the prerequisite to be used greatly by God. So if you come into this place like, I don't have anything to offer, perfect. That's the prerequisite we need. Because God will get the most amount of glory when he does something significant through you. And all of this sits for us to recognize that when God says that he is Emmanuel, he is drawing near to us. Yes, you. Not just the nebulous church. He is drawing near to you. Because you play a role in his story. All right, let's keep going and see more about this. I'm going to jump back to verse 4 and read a few more verses through verse 7 because I want you to see one more part of this. It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with a child. And while they were there, the time came... For her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The second thing that I see here is that God speaks to us. Emmanuel means God is speaking to us. Now, I'm going to say that right here, what you just read is Jesus' first sermon. Now, you may say, I didn't hear Jesus say anything, and he didn't. You know, Francis of Assisi once said, preach a sermon every day, and if necessary, use words. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, there needs to be the proclamation of who Jesus is and what he has done for people to come to Christ. That isn't necessary, but I think what Francis of Assisi is saying is live out the truth as well. Live it out. Truly be that person. So I think what's happening here is Jesus is, is, is hearkening forward to something that he's going to say in the future. But he's doing it from this town of Bethlehem. Now, again, Bethlehem is another example of the wrong place. Now, you know Bethlehem. Um, if you've gone to Bethlehem now, it's a big city now. But back then, it was a nothing town. Uh, and I don't say that just because of research. I say it because that's what the Bible says. In Micah chapter 5... Verse 2, speaking of the town of Bethlehem, it says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel. This is a prophecy 
of Christ's birth to happen in Bethlehem. But what we find out here is that Bethlehem is a nothing town. It is too small to be recognized, but it has significance. Later in Jesus' ministry in John chapter 6, he says something that makes me believe why this is his first sermon. In John chapter 6, verse 35, it says this, Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says later in his ministry that I am the bread of life. Now catch this. I think this is amazing. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Do you know what the name Bethlehem translates to? House of bread. Jesus, born in the city of the house of bread, is laid in a manger. Do you know what a manger is? It's a feeding trough. The one to whom would claim that he is the bread of life and anyone who would come to him and feast on him would never hunger again is now laid in a feeding trough where things come to eat in the house of bread. I believe this is the moment Jesus is giving his very first message to the world. Here I am, world. I lay in this feeding trough that you might know if you come and feast on me, you will have life, and life abundantly. Without a word, Jesus speaks to us. 2,000 years later, he is still speaking to us. He has something he wants you to hear. And what it is that he wants you to hear he wants it to transform your heart that you now think and live like he does. He wants you to not only see that he was willing to come to this world to enter into our darkness, to enter into our uh, need of him, but to not just wait for us to come to him, but he beckons us by his arrival to us. Now, I think... We probably all have heroes, people that we really, really look up to. But I know that one of my heroes, I think, exemplifies this as well as anything. You know him, but you probably don't know his backstory. One of my heroes is Patrick of Ireland. In March every year, we celebrate his life, St. Patrick's Day. And, and, and I think it's a, nice, it's a nice little celebration. But I think as somebody who's been given the task of identifying church planters and helping plant new churches and being a part of a church like you guys, plant, like there's, there, this should be the church planters holiday because if you find out what, what Patrick did with his life, it is amazing. Did you know this? Patrick is not from Ireland. He was British. And his first engagement with the Irish was when he was 16 years old, he was captured by Irish pirates. I said pirates. <laughs> and taken to Ireland and enslaved there. And for the next six years, his adolescence was stolen from him. His time to grow up with his family was ripped from him as he was a slave to the Irish. 
Six years later, he was able to escape that enslavement by getting on a boat, returning back to Britain, and then doing a 200-mile walk to return there, to return back home to his home in Britain. While he was there, there was this constant vision that he had. And while he returned back home, he was continually haunted by this vision. You see, he saw the need that these pagans had because they were living a life without the hope of the gospel. But he wanted to escape that and get back home. But once he got back home, God would not let him forget the vision that he consistently gave. He decided that he was going to give his life to ministry and signed up for seminary. And while he was there, he began to study, but he never lost this vision. Later in his life, he would return back to the very people who enslaved him, who stole their adolescence, who ripped him away from his family, and would give his life to the people of Ireland, so much so that his name represents their nation. Did you know this? The number is hard to tell because historians differ on this. But most would suggest that Patrick planted 500 churches in Ireland in his life. I mean, if there's a church planter's holiday, Samir, it would be St. Patrick's Day. We should give out awards to our best church planters on St. Patrick's Day. Now, that vision that he kept getting... Here's what he wrote uh, in his biography. That he consistently had this vision of the people of Ireland speaking out to him from their grave. We beg you, holy youth. Remember, he first came as a teenager. We beg you, holy youth, that you shall come and shall walk among us again. And that vision that he consistently had in his life drove him to do what Jesus did for us. We sang this in a song earlier. We talked about the incarnate Jesus. This moment that we're looking at is the incarnation of Jesus. It is that Jesus, uh, God himself, put on flesh and came down to us. And that, that theologically is referred to as the incarnation. And I don't just think that's something we're supposed to like learn as a uh, test on a theology quiz as much as it is for us to understand that's the life that you've been called to now. You have been called to an incarnate life where just like Patrick left what was comfortable to him to return back to people who needed to hear the hope of Christ. He lived incarnationally. And it is a reflection of what Christ has done to us. This is the reason why Jesus and God himself are referred to as the missionary God. You know, in every other religion out there, the way that it's set up is God is on a mountain God is up higher than everyone else, and rules are given. And if you are obedient to those rules, then you sort of take steps up the mountain. That's how every other religion is set up. 
Be obedient to the rules and you'll get closer and closer to God. That is how every other religion is set up except for Christianity. Because our story is a God who got up off of his mountain and came back down to us and did all the work necessary for our salvation. But he did that by coming and being with us. He did that by, by being with us, speaking to us. And I believe he's also drawing close to us. That's what Emmanuel also means. It means that God draws near to us. This is who he is. This is what he does. He draws near to us. I heard a pastor say this one time. He said, um, you know why God likes to speak in whispers? Because I don't know about you, but there's been times I'm like, God, if you could, could you be a little more clear? Could you speak, speak up a little bit more, uh, a little louder? I've, I've, I've prayed this prayer many times. God, treat me like a child. Speak to me plainly. I want to do what you ask me to do, but I need you to speak to me clearly. One of the reasons why I believe God likes to speak in a whisper is because the only way you can hear a whisper is to come close. And God speaks in a whisper because he wants you to come close. He's drawing you in. Let's finish this by looking at these last few verses. Look with me at verse 8. It says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields. Now, shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Them as the shepherds. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Christ, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. On the earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, I have a romantic idea of shepherds until I went to Israel and I saw some shepherds. You know, at our house, we have the little nativity story on one of our counters, and, you know, the, the shepherds are there and they look just like everybody else. But when you go and see a shepherd, like, I want you to picture. Going into L.A. And, and seeing some homeless people that haven't bathed in a long time. And just imagine one of those is like, like a crazy cat lady who's talking to her cat. The crazy cat lady, homeless, talking to her cat. That's the shepherds. That's who they were. They were people who, who didn't have... A regular home, they slept out in the woods and talked to their sheep. That's exactly what you will see if you go and see shepherds. It is the most unusual people. And listen to this. God's up in heaven. He's like, all right, we're going to send Jesus down there. There's going to be praising happening and 
I'm going to speak this first message. He's laid in this feeding trough. He's the bread of life. And the very first people that are going to sing his praise is going to be the crazy cat lady who's homeless. Why, Lord? Wouldn't it be better for him to like arrive at the temple and just kind of this arrival moment where everybody see his power and his glory? No, 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 no. I want everybody to know that from the least of these all the way up, I am here to be with them as well. The infinite God, the infinite became an infant that we might be intimate. The infinite divine God became an infant for the purpose that you and I might have an intimate relationship with him, no matter what your excuse has been before you got here. I want you to know, God is not just calling you to something. He's also calling you towards a purpose, towards a mission. Not, it's not just to sit here and be here every Sunday. It's not, that's, not the, that's not the complete mission. The mission is that you would live like he lived, incarnationally, as a missionary yourself. And it might mean that you've got to go across the world, across the nation, or it might just mean you've got to go across the street. Every one of us has been called to be a missionary where we live, where we work, and even where we play. God has put you there for the purpose that you might be incarnational. Just like Patrick went to them, people who need to know the God, enter into their lives to be with them so that they might know Christ. And it might require sacrifice of you. This is what God's calling each and every one of us to. Make no mistake about it. I'll close with this. I um, have made a, a new friend. His name is Jeremy. And um, Jeremy's now a missions pastor at one of the churches that is one of our partnering churches. Um, and I heard Jeremy telling a story uh, to some college students who wanted to hear about how do, I, how do I face my calling, the call that God has on my life. And uh, someone said, hey, Jeremy, why don't you tell your story? Jeremy, you tell your story. So Jeremy sheepishly went up to um, the microphone. He told his story of calling. It goes like this. He said, when I was six years old, Jeremy went to a, um, a church service, probably not too dissimilar to what we have here today. And a pastor preached a message, probably not that dissimilar to what I've preached today, a message that God is calling each and every one of us to be on mission. And, and the pastor used the term, you need to pack your bags. We've all been called. So six-year-old Jeremy goes back home, goes underneath his bed, pulls out his suitcase, puts it on top of his bed, opens it up, puts all of his stuff in there, closes it, and starts to walk outside. Jeremy told the story that his mom stopped him and said, Hey, buddy, what are you doing? He said, Mom, God needs me on the mission field. Pastor said I need to pack my bags and go. So that's what I'm going to do. 
Jeremy's mom said, buddy, there will be a day that you'll go. But there's a little bit more that you need to prepare for. But I promise when it's time to go, I'll let you go. Fast forward two decades. Jeremy is now an adult in an airport with his bags packed and his mom standing before him again. Now with tears coming down her eyes, saying, buddy, I told you when it was time, I'd let you go. But I don't want to. Jeremy said he put his arms around his mom and he said, Mom, God has called me. You promised that when the time had come, you'd let me go. Now's that time. I don't know which of those two people you identify with. Maybe you identify with Mom. God has called loved ones, or maybe even yourself, to something that you don't know how to say yes to. Or maybe like Jeremy, you see that God has called you to something very specific. But you've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Maybe today is the day that you pack your bags and be obedient to the call of God on your life, no matter the sacrifice. Or Maybe God is calling you to let go of all the comforts that you've been holding on to so that today you would say yes to God. If you're either one of those people, would you give me the privilege to pray for you? Holy God, our our, our distinct prayer this morning was that we would come here and hear from you and leave with a word from you. God, I just gave 35 minutes of words. There's lots of those. But God, I believe and trust that even those that might be tuning in online to those of us sitting in this auditorium, that you had something you wanted us to hear. But hearing without doing is disobedience. So God, I pray that whatever it is that you've asked us to hear, this would be the moment we seal it with our yes, God, yes. Whatever you call me to, I will follow. God, if you call me to live as Patrick of Ireland, I will go. And God, if you're simply asking me to cross the street today to take the good news to my neighbor, God, yes, I will go. And holy God, maybe there's somebody here today that has not really seen you for who you are, and they've been trying to climb the mountain themselves, do all the right things to get there. God, I pray that today they would recognize you did everything necessary. You came to us. All we have to do today is believe, and that belief will change us. So God, if you've drawn someone here today who needs to put their faith in you, to put their yes on the table for you, God, I pray that right now, Maybe in the simple prayer, they would just say to you, yes, Lord, I give you my life. I give you my future. 
I live out the purposes that you have for me. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.